Hi, everybody. Good morning. It's nice to be back here. I uh, brought back with me from Illinois some sort of a, a bug, so I'm staying away from everybody. Um, but as we, we prepare, in just one week, it's, it's Christmas. And we've been building up through the season of Advent, and each service we gather together and we light a candle here. And there's one for each week, one for hope, love, joy, and peace. Which leaves one more in the middle, white, pure, that represents Christ himself, and that when we light one week from today. And as we, we walk through hope, love, joy, and peace, the goal is to not let the true meaning of this holiday slip by us or sneak up on us while we focus on so many other things. So today we've come together to celebrate and to talk about the peace that Jesus brings, and I'd like to invite us to Luke chapter 2. We read it every year because it's the Christmas story. I'm going to start reading in verse 8. <clears throat> but the part that we're going to really explore starts in verse 18. So this is to set the scene and to prepare us for this announcement of peace and for the responses different people had to the peace of, of Jesus. They're, the angel is going to announce to the shepherds the birth of Christ. And they're going to make this, this bold, powerful, eternal statement on earth, peace and goodwill toward men. And they're going to respond to that peace, and we're going to see how they do and see how we may respond to the peace of God in our own lives. And we'll pick up in verse 8. Now, now there were, <clears throat> excuse me, in the same... country, shepherds, out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them. The glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And so it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem, and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste, found, they found Mary and Joseph, 
and the babe lying in a manger. When they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told to them concerning this child. That's the, the first Christmas. Heaven breaks into a peaceful earthly night, interrupting young boys watching sheep out in a field to announce that everything in history has changed and that every purpose of God has been fulfilled through the birth of a homeless baby in a barn, probably a cave used as a barn, and put in a feed trough. Mysterious indeed. So when we get to verse 18, we, we start to see responses to the peace of God. The announcement is peace. The Lord has brought peace by sending His Son Jesus to be born. Goodwill toward men. The first response is marveling. And all those who heard it marveled at the things which were told to them by the shepherds. The shepherds heard the announcement of peace from the angels. They went personally to the, the barn, to the manger, and they saw Jesus and Mary, Joseph, and they realized that, that indeed this was the fulfillment of the angels' words to them. And they worshiped, and then they went out and they spread the word. They told everybody, and all those who heard it marveled. Now, these aren't eyewitnesses. The shepherds were the eyewitnesses. These are, are the people hearing about it from the shepherds. And they're marveling, all of them. See, marveling should be the universal response of people when we realize the, the peace that God brings through Christ. Marveling. Why don't we marvel anymore? I have some theories. One is that, that we become too familiar with the story. There's a hymn I like. Um, um, I, I love to tell the story. For those who know it best, seem hungering and thirsting to hear it like the rest. That it should be that, that the better we know the gospel, the more excited we get about hearing and proclaiming the gospel. That the more we ponder on the depths of the forgiveness of God in the face of our own fallenness, the more we get excited about the forgiveness of God. But often, as with so many other areas of our life, we become so familiar. So many of us were born again as children, saved when we were very young, and that's great, raised in church, absolutely, and have lived a life that, that hasn't been overtly sinful, and we haven't really brought shame on ourselves. And so it's easy to think, well, well, I've, I've just always experienced this. I've always been this way. God's always been with me, and I can't remember a time when I'd, I wasn't familiar with grace. And when that's our perspective, it's easy to lose the ability to marvel because it's not radiantly new anymore. I think we fail to marvel because we get a hard heart. In the first epistle that Paul wrote to Timothy, he said, Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith. They'll give heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron that is unable to feel anymore, that, that we can get such a hard heart through our own sin, through our, our own perverse minds, or, or just through a hard spirit 
that we don't marvel at anything anymore. And we don't marvel at the mercy of God because we depart from the faith. I think often we fail to marvel because of apathy. And I think apathy is a big problem facing the church today, our church and every church. I think when we think back over the effects of COVID, where for two years fed a constant chaos, constant panic, everything's an emergency. Every day, the president, the governor, the health person, whoever, stands up and says, it's a real emergency. Every day for two years. And we can take so much of that and then we fatigue on it. And we say, man, I'm tired of being worked up over every little thing. This is exhausting, and it exhausted all of us. That's not politics. That's just psychology. You live under that for so long, and you go, man, I'm tired of this. And then everything becomes a really big deal, and then after that, nothing becomes a really big deal. God becomes not a really big deal because we're just exhausted and apathetic, and that happens. I think that's happened to a lot of us, and it's happened all over. There's a, there's a song from way back by Queen, and it ends with, Nothing really matters. Anyone can see nothing really matters to me. And then it fades off any way the wind blows. This doesn't matter. And we can get there, and some of us are there, have been there, we don't marvel anymore because we don't see the wonder because we're exhausted. I think also we fail to marvel at the birth of Jesus because we don't prioritize our sense of wonder. And everything is marvelous. And everything is great. And everything is, is over the top. And, and if we allow ourselves to give in to that, then, then we take something truly marvelous like the birth of Jesus and and it's not really any more special than anything else. So everybody marveled when they heard this story. Everybody should marvel. What's it mean to marvel? Well, it's, it's a sense of awe and childlike amazement. I just spoke with somebody with two young kids, and she took them to McCaddenville and braved the traffic to see the lights. That's just lights. Made in China. I mean, it's... We know what it is, but oh, when you're four years old, my goodness, you've never seen that. And it's magical. And that's marveling, where it's not simply that we acknowledge something much larger than us, that's part of it, but it also brings out a sense of wonder and a sense of awe. They marveled. And they marveled at the things told to them by the shepherds. Now, they're not marveling because of the authority of the the. The messenger. Shepherds tended to be young boys, maybe not much older than Cooper. They tended to be from the, the lower end of the economic spectrum. The, these weren't rock stars coming with some brand new message. These were the last people you would expect, but they're marveling at what they hear because they're grasped by the truth of it. 
They marveled at those things which were told to them. So when they hear about the peace of God manifested in Jesus Christ himself, the natural response is to marvel. And I would urge us to, to regain our ability to, to, to wonder in awe at the marvelous mercy and grace that's manifested in Christ. Marvel. We respond to the peace of God by marveling. Two, we respond to the peace of God by pondering. That's 19. But Mary, now, everyone who heard it is over here, and Mary's all alone over here. Her experience is very different than any other person involving the birth of Jesus. She would have been early teens. An angel appears to her, an archangel, a terrifying angel appears and tells her that you're going to be with child, even though you're a virgin. And this is going to be the very Son of God. And then it happens. And for nine months, it's really ten months, isn't it? Forty weeks, four weeks in a month. Okay? So for ten months, this has been coming. And then it happens. And she's experienced birth in a in a cave with animals in it. I mean, Mary has this whole unique experience, unlike anybody else. It's been harder for her than for anybody, and a deeper experience for Mary than for anybody. And Mary kept all these things. Mary tucks these things away. Mary's not going to lose this night. Day after day after day goes by in our lives, and we forget about it. We go to work, we go to school, we, we do what we do, and it was just a day. And there are very few days that stand out clearly in your mind. They're your best days and they're your worst days. The day you got married, you remember in your mind. The day your children were born, you remember. The day you lost someone that you loved dearly, those things stick with us. Everything else just fades into the past and just all runs together. But Mary's not going to let that happen to this experience. She's going to keep it. She kept all these things so that she can grow from them, so that she can understand what God is doing in her life. She's not going to let this experience pass her by. We let so many teachable moments, so many instances where God is doing something in our life and we let it pass by because we don't keep it and ponder it. She pondered them in her heart. It's not simply that she kept the experience. It's that she made it the subject of inquiry. She's, she's got it in there, and she's going to turn it over and over and over until she understands it. She's going to give all of her faculties to understanding what God is doing in this moment. Mary's a deep thinker. She had to be to cope with what God used her to do. So she didn't simply keep the experience. She's going to ponder this experience. There's a, it's a building in London, England. It's a church, St. Paul's. They started building it in 1675. It took 35 years to build it. And man, it's a masterpiece. It's got... Frescoes and paintings and carvings, and it is it it was to the majesty and the splendor of God, and they made it one of the most beautiful buildings the world had ever seen. It was incredible. But in London, it's uh it's damp. 
It's foggy. It's wet. So to protect it, they went inside the whole building and they coated it all with linseed oil so the humidity wouldn't damage it. And that was in 1710. Well, that was beautiful and that was really nice for a while until the 1800s when they figured out how to make engines that were powered by coal and by oil. And they put these all over the city to power the revolution, industry. And it became one of the smokiest, smoggiest, sootiest, nastiest cities on earth. It remained that way up until the 1980s. It was just filthy. So all this smoke and soot and dirt went into the beautiful church. And that oil just soaked it up. And it was black inside. And where there had been beautiful paintings, there were vague shapes. Something had to be done. So back in 05, they renovated it. $19 million to go in and clean it all up. And they removed 27,000 cubic feet of dust. How much is that? If you see a... Big rig out on the highway. It's nine of those worth of dust. Accumulated over hundreds of years. See, our hearts are like that. When God comes in, when Jesus comes into our hearts and, and makes his home there, makes us his, his temple, shiny and beautiful and intricate and radiant, and then everything that comes in there sticks. And over a lifetime, we accumulate grime and what should be shining radiantly to the, the splendor of God, the majesty of God, is sooty, dirty. So I want to read you these words from Paul. Finally, my brethren, whatever things are true. Now, as you hear this, remember we're talking about the peace of God, peace on earth, goodwill to men. And Mary ponders these things. Finally, my brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue in anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. He, he gives these parameters for what we should allow in, what should occupy our thoughts. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and watch this, the God of peace will be with you. See, the presence of the peace of God in our lives has very much to do with what we ponder on. We can't fill our heart with, with smoke and soot and grime and dirt and expect the radiant peace of God to shine there. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he, says Jesus. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, says Jesus. And so we have to really watch what we put into our heart. And so when we come upon the birth of Christ, God's salvation freely given, we couldn't go to him, so he came to us. When we ponder on that, it brings us into to the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. We ponder the way that Mary pondered. One more idea here. And it's in verse 20. They marveled at the peace of God. She pondered the peace of God. And then the shepherds here, 
They returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, as it was told them. Their response was to praise. Now, watch this. The shepherds returned. We found them, in verse 8, at work, in a field by night. They're just out there doing their job. They're watching over the sheep. Just hanging out, working. Real life, mundane, nothing exciting there. And then excitement breaks in. And the heavenly hosts and the sky lights up and nothing they've ever seen. And so they go and and they see Jesus and then they come right back to boring, mundane, real life. Sometimes people in the Bible have these mountaintop experiences. When Moses went up on the mountain into the very presence of God, saw the face of God, received from God by hand the Ten Commandments. I mean, what a a high that must have been. Never been closer to God than right there face to face. But then that experience ends. He comes down the mountain and they're worshiping a golden calf. Every mountaintop experience ends. Jesus went up on a mountain with with Peter, James, and John, and he was transfigured before them, and he shone radiant and white, and the voice of God spoke, and there's Moses, and there's Elijah, and it's this mountaintop experience. And Peter says, this is great. I'm going to build some shelters here, and we'll all just stay here. Great experience. Let's keep it. And then it all ends. And they saw only Jesus, ordinary again, and then they go down the mountain and they find an argument and somebody with a demon and back to real life. See, we don't get mountaintop experience with God every day. It doesn't work that way. Most of life is just real life. And when we get those unique experiences where we are close to God and we experience God, then we return and we bring back with us the praise of God that that arises from the moment, but the moment ends. So they had to return. They couldn't stay. They're not adopted into the family. They got to go back. Jesus will go with his parents, and they'll go back to the sheep, and that personal spiritual experience is over. And sometimes when that happens to us, we think something's gone wrong. But we have this, this experience with God where we feel him and we know him, and we're close. And then it ends, and it's, what happened? Well, life happened. That's how it goes. Heaven will be on the mountain, but here we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. So they returned. It's not abnormal to have to, to go back to, to your real life after having a, a very personal experience with God. But they went back changed. They were praising God. This was their great purpose, yours and mine also. We're we're put on earth to to bring praise and honor to God, and and they tap into that. They go back praising, honoring Him. Why? For the things they had seen. I'm sorry, for, for all the things they had heard and seen. They heard it from the angels. They saw it with their eyes. They've seen the work of God, and they're going to, Praise and honor Him. There's always something right in front of our face to praise God for, for His his mighty works in the heavens and in the earth and in 
the things you would see under a microscope, down to, to the smallest cells, the handiwork of God, His order, His genius, His beauty. You can praise Him for His character. That in a world full of cynicism and sinfulness and darkness, there's, there is one being who is absolutely pure and holy. Praise God for that. For His salvation. That, that though I was lost in my own sin and could never approach Him, He approached me. Though I was dead, he, he raised me to life. Though I was far away, He drew me near. Praise God for that. For His healing. So many have experienced the healing touch of God in hearts, in bodies, families. Praise Him for His comfort that when we experience things that, that would break us on our own, that are, are too much to bear, yet He has a peace that passes understanding. His Holy Spirit comforts us. We praise Him for His wisdom, that, that he, 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 he knows all, He knows best, when, when we know nothing. Praise Him for His protection. We've all been through some tough times, and God's protected and been with us. Often in ways we don't even see. I think we're going to get into heaven and, and have the ability to know as we're known, to know things the way God does. And we're going to look back and say, my goodness, I never knew, God, how, how closely you were watching over me, even in my sin. I believe that. For his Holy Spirit who fills us. That God is not far away. He is right here through His Holy Spirit. We praise Him for His Word that, that teaches and guides us. We could go on and on and on, but you see the point. When we encounter the peace of God through the birth of Jesus, our response is to give Him praise. It matters that we praise Him, and it matters why we do. One author has written, worship is the submission of all of our nature to God. It is the awakening of the, the conscience by His holiness, the, the nourishment of the mind with His truth, the purifying of the imagination with His beauty, the opening of the heart to His love, the surrender of the will to His purpose. All of this meets up in adoration, the most selfish, I'm sorry, the most selfless emotion of which we are capable. And the chief remedy for that self-centeredness, which is our original sin and the source of all actual sin. See, we've got to worship something. We've got to worship somebody. It's in our nature. When we don't praise God, who, who do we praise? It's something. It's somebody. It's, it, it's something competing for the majesty of God. And we're not going to know the peace of God as long as we're bowing to one of his competitors. So if we don't feel God's peace, then we, we might ask, is God receiving my praise? Is, it, am I pondering God in my heart? Am I filling my life with the peace of God, or with the anxiety of the world. 
Have I lost my ability to marvel, to just stand in awe of the goodness of God? There's, a, there's an entire generation alive here on earth that's still just astounded that we put a man on the moon and brought him back home. And there's another one that's amazed that we haven't gotten to Mars yet. And they're both in this room right now. Do you see the, the gap there? When it becomes so familiar, oh, why can't we do that? And we've done all these other things, and others say, my goodness, I still, I'm still hung up on that in the 60s. That was amazing. The point is, we lose our ability to stand in awe because we get over-familiar with the ways of God. Happens in the, of the world as well. We marvel, we ponder, we praise. Those are the responses to the peace of God. They were the responses that night. They're the appropriate response for you and for me. So my prayer for you is that as we, we move into the season where we celebrate, and I love the fact Christmas is on Sunday. Some, somebody asked me, are we having church? Yeah. Where better to be than in the house of God on Christmas Day? Yes, absolutely. Bring somebody. There's time to eat. There's time to open gifts. There's time for all the wonderful things, but there's time to be in the house of God. To marvel, to ponder, and to praise. Don't let it sneak up on you. Don't let so many other good things steal the wonder of the birth of Jesus. Will you join me as we pray? Our Father, we thank you for this old, old story. It's been told and retold for 2,000 years plus, and it's still new because it's still true. And it's still the only answer to the deepest problem of every human heart. We're separated from God by sin. With a separation so vast that only you could overcome it. With one big step from heaven to earth in the birth of Jesus Christ. I pray that we would marvel with the true sense of all. I pray that we would ponder, deeply thinking, turning over and over what this peace means. And I pray that we would praise you truly, sincerely from the the, the depths of our hearts up to the heights of the heavens that, that we give you worship, praise, and honor. For Lord, you're worthy, and these are the only things that are going to bring us the peace and goodwill that the angels promised so long ago. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.